Hey guys, I'm Brad Livingston, lead pastor here at Transformation Church. I want to thank you for tuning in to our sermon today. At TC, we exist to see people transform from who they are to who God wants them to be. So no matter where you are on your faith journey, I hope today's message inspires you to take one step closer to Christ. Today, I'm just going ahead and get it out there. Right now, we're talking about sex. All right, so I'm not going to invite you to turn to your neighbor this time. All right, but just say sex out loud. All right, so the first service, when I did that, you literally could feel the air leave the room. They're like, sex. We're going to talk about sex today. And uh, don't worry, if you're a parent here and you're like, ah, my kid is in here, don't worry. We're not going to get outlandish. But here's the thing. I believe churches have to do better talking about this topic. We have to do better talking about this topic. And I want to talk to you about it some today. Uh, How many guys know there's a big difference between the way some of us were raised and the way kids experience life now? Right? Like, how many grew up, like, in my generation or before where you remember where people would just show up at your house? Like, friends would just show up at your house and be like, we were just thinking about you. We wanted to come over and hang out. And your parents would be like, well, come on in. Like, anybody remember that craziness? Come on in. Your mom's like, I just put a pie in the oven. You're looking at your sibling like, mommy never put a pie in the oven her day in her life. You know, like, she's like, we just, we just made some cookies. And you're like, mom said them cookies were for next weekend. We can't, like... Like, so they're, you know, come on, Joe and Susie, get in the house. And they sit on the couch and you're all sitting there together. Like, this was real life. I know young people, you don't believe me. This was real. This really happened. Nowadays, someone rings a doorbell. You're like, turn off the lights, close the blinds, turn the TV on mute, right? <laughs> don't let anyone know we're here, <laughs> right? Uh, you're like rolling through the house like ninjas, like shh, shh, shh. Never mind that your cars are all outside, you know. And now in 2024, it's like you just look on your phone. You know, like you look at the Ring app. You're like, hey, what do you want, man? <laughs> like, we just want to talk to you about solar panels. You're like, wrong house, brother. Keep going. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> Tell all your friends don't come here either. So, but the reality is like the, the, it's just changed, man. And, and how many of you guys are with me? You know that you would never want to live in a house without a front door. Right? Like, you wouldn't want to live in a house without a front door. A front door does two things. One, it keeps bad people out. Right? Come on, help me out. Like, it's a boundary that says, don't come in here. You know what I mean? Like, there's a, I have a universal sound in my house. It's spoken in every language that says, don't come in this house. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. All right? Starts with a 12 and ends with a gauge. All right? So, <laughs> it says a lot in every language. So, but... All that to say is like, it keeps the bad people out, right? But how many guys that all know, it also lets you live with freedom inside your own home, right? Like how many guys know when the door is closed, you feel a little more free to just be you? Come on, you'll wear that old company t-shirt work party <laughs> from eight years ago that don't fit and it's got holes all in it. And you're like, ain't nobody coming over. Why do I? I'm going to wear what I want to wear, right? Uh, if you wear a shirt at all, you know, that's your business, you know, whatever. So um, you can, you can, you can, like, you have complete freedom in your own space. You know, Ashley, sometimes she'll be like, you need to put on some better clothes in case people come over. I'm like, who coming over? Nobody. No one should be in this house, right? Like, you get to be free inside of your own house because there's a boundary that says people stay out and I get to stay in. Therefore, I get to live within the comfort of knowing who I am and living within this freedom. And so the the question comes up about freedom. And the question is this, what does ultimate freedom and enjoyment look like? What does ultimate freedom and enjoyment look like? So the question is, is ultimate freedom to be free to do whatever you want? Or are there actual boundaries to your freedom that actually make you more free? So do the right boundaries make you more free so that you can truly enjoy things? 
or is it supposed to just be complete freedom? And I think this is where we've kind of lost it because we haven't had healthy conversations about sex. We've lost this construct because here's the deal. Sex is the front door to marriage. Think about it for a second. You get married at an altar, right? Then you go, you have a little bit of a party with your friends to celebrate. What's the next thing you do? Consummate. (laughs) You know what I'm talking about? You know what I mean? Maybe Whataburger, right? (laughs) Like my wedding, we ran out of food at at the wedding. So I was like, listen... I'm hungry, right? So, uh, so Whataburger on the way to the hotel. But, but ultimately, like sexual intimacy is the next step to your marriage. Why? Because sexual intimacy is the front door that both of you walk through together of each other's lives to now build a home with each other. You guys with me today? And since that is your reality, since sex is the front door, we have to understand what it looks like to have the right people at the door. So the door keeps the wrong people out, you with me? And it lets the right people in so that you can have true freedom inside the home or the life of the believer. That's why you have to understand this. Sexual intimacy opens the door for that person to take up residence in your spirit. Which is the reason why you really need to know who you're letting take up residence in your spirit. And the problem I think many people are facing today is you haven't realized that every person you get in bed with also brings demons with them. And when you become physically or sexually intimate with someone, you take on part of their spirit. Which means not only did you experience a physical thing with them, you experience a spiritual thing with them. And when you experience a spiritual thing with them, you now invite a portion of their spirit to join you for the rest of your life. And since you've done that, listen, what we don't realize, how many of you would love for someone to ring your doorbell, you open the door, and they just move in your house? And you're like, oh, I don't know that I wanted you here permanently. I was just saying hello, right? They're like swapping out your Oreos for celery sticks and stuff. Like, you're like, hey, 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 hey. I don't need you messing with what I got going on here. But listen to me, that's exactly what happens when we open the door of sexual intimacy without having the union of marriage together. And we let people live in our spirits, not realizing that they bring a lot of baggage with them. Because how many guys know when people move in, they bring stuff with them. And when people move in your spirit, they bring stuff with them. And that's what I want to talk about today. Because if we could understand the sexual conversation better, then we could understand what it is God wants for us. And that's what I want to show you today over the next few minutes together. And the first thing I want you to understand is that God made sex to be good and to have a purpose. Now, again, parents, if you're in here, you have young people in. We actually wanted the teenagers to stay in here. A couple of years ago, we, we let the teenagers leave. Um, for this one, we're not going to get too crazy. Uh, so we let them stay because I think teenagers in particular, listen to me, you need to hear this conversation, put it into practice so that you don't make the same mistakes our generation made before you. And that's why I want, I want you to be part of this conversation. Listen, and, and that's what this is to understand is God made sex to be good, to be good. Sex is good. Listen, you feel it in the air already? People are like, ugh. <laughs> like, I'm uncomfortable. <laughs> Why? Because we've been convinced that sex is bad. And we're going to talk about purity culture in a minute. But we've been convinced that sex is bad. Therefore, we're uncomfortable with the conversation in church. But listen to me. God made it, said it was good, and gave it purpose. I'll show you. Let's go to Genesis chapter 1. I'll show you. Genesis 1, 26 through 28. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply. 
Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So God speaks to the man and the wife. And he says, hey, listen, now that I've made man, I've made woman. Now that you guys are in union together, you're in a covenant. You're in this marriage relationship. Now I want you to what? Be fruitful and multiply. So let's talk about the purposes of sex for a second. The purpose of sex, first of all, is mutual enjoyment. Mutual enjoyment. Like sex is something you are supposed to enjoy, not feel terrible about. Right? Married couples, that was your chance. That was, that was a, and the, in the 830s, I was not going to lie to you, like 10, 10 of the guys were like, yeah. And I was like, that's the biggest amen I've ever gotten ever from guys in church. So, so I want you to say this. Like, God made sex to be good. Say good. See, that's the biggest, that's the, the loudest good I've ever gotten in this church ever uh, in a call and response situation. But he made it to be good, one, because for mutual enjoyment. He, when he puts a man and a wife, a man and a woman together in marriage, he wants you to enjoy each other the way he designed you to be. He wants that for you. You're supposed to, right? And even in the church world, like we, we haven't known, always known how to communicate that well. So he, he wants mutual enjoyment. The second thing is he wants multiplication. The, the purpose of sex is multiplication, for you to have children, right? So he, he wants you to, well, if you go back to Genesis 1, what does he say? He says, I want you to fill the earth. Well, there's only one way you're going to do that, right? By having babies. There's only one way that you make babies. All right, like, so, so fill the earth, multiply, be fruitful and multiply. But here's the deal. He, said, he also says that he wants you, the other purpose of sex is to subdue the earth. So he doesn't just say fill it, but what does he say? I want you to take control over it. I want you to be in charge of it. Like I want you to, I want you to fill the earth. Why? Because what he's communicating here is this reality that, that I, mankind made in God's image who fears God is supposed to rule the earth. So, so here, let me help you. Christians are supposed to take dominion in their world. Everywhere they put their foot, they're supposed to take dominion for the kingdom of God in their lives and in the lives of the people around. Like, like, so we should be subduing the earth. Well, listen, the only way we can do that in the next generation is for a man and a wife to love God together, get married, have children, raise them to love God, and then get married and have more children. And we see multiple generations of people loving God and raising new generations to rule the earth. Like that is the purpose that God had for us. So he says, subdue it, rule in the earth, fill the earth. This is the goal that God has for us. And so that's the other purpose of sex. And then last but not least, as the other purpose of sex is for God's glorification. God's glorification. In other words, God created sex so that when we have sexual intimacy, we glorify God with our bodies. Now, that's never been the first thing on my mind. I'm not going to lie to you. Like, I've, I, you know what I'm saying? Like, there's never been a moment where I was just like, so all glory to the Father. Like, that's never, never, I'm, maybe you have, I don't know. I've never been where my mind went, all right? I'm just, I'm going to shoot straight with you, all right? But the reality is this, that for a husband and wife, whenever they are sexually intimate, they are glorifying God with the relationship and with their bodies that God gave them. 
and we're glorifying God because we are doing the good thing that God designed within biblical marriage between a husband and a wife. And as we experience that goodness, we're glorifying God by walking out the journey that God has for us, right? So it is a good thing. Now I wanna be really clear about a couple things fresh out of the gate. Is that this is the design that God has for it, but there are a number of people that there are various parts of, the, of this list that you just can't experience. For example, multiplication. There are some people, maybe even in this room, where multiplication, like having children for whatever reason has not been in the cards for you. I want you to understand you're not failing at a God-given purpose just because God hasn't opened that door for you yet. And you need to know that because I think some places like, well, you got sin in your life you need to deal with. And it's like, no, maybe God's purpose in your life is not to have children. Maybe, maybe there's an element of your world where you're not going to raise children, but you're going to be part of raising other people's children within the community of Christ. You with me today? So I want to make sure that the, the enemy doesn't get into your mind and start convincing you you've done something wrong if that's not in the cards for you. And I'll be completely transparent with you. Ashley and myself, we can't have children anymore. Um, so that's, in, in our cards, like that's something God has picked for us as a married couple that we, we actually can't have children anymore. And so I'm here to tell you, like we, if, if God has chosen that for me, I want you to know that if that is the journey God has for you, be comfortable in that knowing that you're not cursed and you're not bad and you're not evil and you're not sinful if God doesn't let you have that thing, that part of your life. You with me today? I'd hate for the enemy to get into your mind and start to sow that kind of discord into your spirit. So there's a purpose of sex. But when sin entered the world, remember in the garden, the, the, the enemy, Satan, comes in and he convinces Eve to eat the fruit, even though God said not to eat the fruit. You guys remember that part? So she eats the fruit. Well, when she eats the fruit, now sin enters the world. So before sin was in the world, even having children, even the, even the birthing process for women of having a child was not even supposed to be painful or difficult or any of those things. It was supposed to strictly be enjoyable. But because sin entered the world, this is what happens in Genesis 3. God looks at the woman and says, because you ate the fruit, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. In other words, it wasn't part of the original design for women, but because Eve ate the fruit, now every woman since her that has had a child has experienced the painful process of childbearing. And if you're a mother in here, you can give me an amen on that one. All right. So, so it, it is, it is the, not the enjoyable part of childbirth for, for most women, right? So the reality is this, though. Listen. Every time we partake in something outside of the design that God had for it, there is always someone that suffers. I'm going to say it again. Every time we partake in something outside, God did not design Eve to eat the fruit. She ate it anyways, and now all women suffer because of it. And anytime we indulge in something that God says, don't have that, someone suffers when we have it anyways. And listen, that goes for you with your sexual life. If God says, don't experience that outside of a marriage between a husband and a wife, and we do it anyways, there will always be suffering that follows. And so we see that God has a design for how we're supposed to experience this thing, but it exists with boundaries, which brings me to the next thing we have to understand is that sex always involves a more intimate connection than we realize. Let's take it in. Sex always involves a more intimate connection than we realize because when you join with someone, you are joining with their spirit. And when you join with their spirit, they are literally experiencing and you are experiencing a union that is reserved 
for a husband and a wife in biblical marriage. Like that is the way it's supposed to happen. Now, unfortunately, the church hasn't always known what to do with this conversation. So what happened in my generation, right? So if you're an 80s baby and you were raised in church through the 90s, you experienced something called the purity movement or purity culture. And it was the church's solution to tell teenagers, hey, there's a problem. Teenagers keep wanting to have sex. And since it worked so well when we told them not to do drugs and not to drink and do all these things, let's also tell them not to have sex because surely that'll work. So what we did, what the church, the institution of the church did, now hear me, I'm not talking about purity is a good thing. We're talking about purity culture, which is a whole movement, all right, by itself. And what purity culture said to teenagers and young people is, sex is evil, wicked, disgusting, and bad, so save it for the person you love. (laughs) Come on, help me out. If you're in your 30, you know what I'm talking about. They're like, don't ever, it's, it's terrible. You wait for your spouse for that one. <laughs> and we literally try to convince a generation of people that this is a reality, which, and hear me, that's not the case at all. That's not what God designed for it at all. And so what we did is we went to a bunch of people and said, you should not want this. And if you ever want this, it's because something's wrong with you. But how did God create us to want something? If God created us to want something, how can we say it's evil? So what we have to realize is that it's not evil to want something. There's just a boundary around it that until we get married, we're not supposed to have it. You guys with me today? And so what the church did is we tried to convince young, we we went to young people and the young person was honest and they're like, hey, I'm having like sexual desires. I'm dealing with this in my life. And the church was like, you need to get that sin out of your life. Well, here's the reality. Trying to convince actively sexual beings not to be sexual is the equivalent of telling humans to stop breathing. So what we did is because God created male and female and he created hormones and he created a driving desire for us to have sexual drive in us and then we would meet a husband or a wife uh, and then we would get married and now the door opens and we can be sexually intimate. Now we can create a union, have a home, have a marriage, raise a family. Like all of those things are part of God's design. And so the church's solution to that was to try to convince sexual beings not to be sexual. And so what we did is is we convinced a generation within the purity culture that there's something wrong with them if they want it. But there's nothing wrong with you if you want it. You just have to raise children and the generation to know that it's right to want it. And the way to experience it is within the boundary of marriage. But we didn't communicate that. All we told them was they're wrong, which then led to another problem. Because what we started doing within the purity culture is we started making virginity an idol. So we started worshiping virginity as an idol, which is a good thing to be pursued. It's the proper thing to have. But we didn't try to encourage young people to love Jesus more. We just told them that if you're still a virgin when you get married, you're better than all the other people. Not realizing that if they're looking at pornography every night and not telling anybody about it, they're still in the same problem that person is. They're just not seeing it manifested. And so what we did is we convinced people, we convinced the generation that they could either be pure if they didn't have sex, not realizing there's a lot of ways you can be impure without sleeping with someone. But we never introduced them to the reality of what you need to do is love Jesus more than you love anything else. And if you'll pursue and love Jesus more than you love anything else, when he opens the door for you to experience this, it'll be good. It'll be good for you and you'll get to glorify God in it. But instead we just said, don't do it. It's terrible. And the problem is my generation of young people 
always felt terrible about the feelings they had. Going, man, I got these feelings. I don't know what to do with them. They're going, well, you need, if you got those feelings, something's wrong with you. And I said, well, if I'm going to feel this way, then I might as well feel bad about doing all of it. Come on, help me out. If I'm going to feel shame, then I might as well feel shame. Never mind. All right. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Don't look at me like that. So the reality is what we, what we should have been doing and what our goal, this is the reason why I want teenagers in this conversation with us is listen to me, 16-year-olds, 13 however old you are, listen to me. The greatest thing you can do with your life is not try to pretend that you don't have sexual desires. It's to love Jesus more than you want anything else. And in your pursuit of Jesus, he will put you in the pathway of the right person that you can marry. And then together you can experience that beautiful thing of sexual intimacy and glorify God in your home. That's the way that you should experience it. And for the record, I know I just said to 16-year-olds, but hear me, 36-year-old and 46-year-olds and 56-year-olds, the best way you can experience sex is by letting it be within the confines of biblical marriage between a husband and a wife. And then we can glorify God in it. So we have to dismantle that. That's why, listen to me, Psalm 73, 25 through 26 says this, whom, I, whom have I in heaven but you? This is David talking to God on earth. In uh, earth has nothing I desire beside you. You're my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever that there should be this drive to know God and love God. That's why Ephesians 5, 31, Paul's writing, he says, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh, that it should happen in the confines of this biblical marriage between a husband and a wife. And as we do that, we can experience 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 through 5 and verse 7, for this is the will of God. People come to us all the time. They say, Pastor Brad, I don't know the will of God for my life. Well, there's, there's a number of ways that walks itself out, but here's one of them. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. What is that? Any sexual experience between any people that's not a husband and a wife in union before God in covenant that each one of you should know how to control his own body in holiness and honor for God has called us to, uh, for God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. So let me give you a couple truths just fresh out of the gate, all right? First one is this, biblical sex honors God by offering him obedience and glory. Biblical sex between a husband and a wife who are married in a covenant before God honors God by offering him obedience and glory. But let me give you the other part of this. Purity in singleness honors God also by making God your greatest desire. So that should be our, our desire. That should be what we want. That should be what we're hoping for. And Eugene Patterson has this quote. It's great. He says this, there is more to sex than mere physical touch. Such is as much of a spiritual mystery as a physical act. As written in scripture, the two shall become one. We must not pursue the kind of sex that avoids commitment and intimacy, leaving us more lonely than ever. The kind of sex that can never become one. And that's the reality. Because marriage is supposed to be a beautiful union of two people. 
A home is supposed to make up a beautiful union of two people. When two people, they, they get married, and as they get married, they, 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 in, they have sexual intimacy with one another. That is the front door, and now they start building a home together. And as they build a home together, they, they start establishing what they want their lives to look like together. And as they establish that, they, they have children, and they raise their children to honor God together. And what are they doing? They're building a beautiful union. And, and even within that union, what's great about that union is that you're supposed to experience one with this person, that, that every good thing you experience should be multiplied because you have someone to experience it with. And every sorrow that you endure should be divided because you have someone else to help carry that burden for you. That everything you go through in your life, when you're married, you have someone else, a partner to celebrate in the good and help carry the, ba the bad parts of your life. And together, you're building this amazing life. And unfortunately, what we have failed to realize is because sex is the doorway, we have a lot of people we've opened the door to oftentimes that we haven't experienced the beauty of the union, we've just experienced the physical intimacy of an open door. And the truly difficult part about this is we don't realize that there's a spiritual ramification to all of these things. And God desires that just marriage union would be a beautiful thing. So sex is the doorway. It's not the ultimate fulfillment. The family, the unity, the communion between two people is the fulfillment as they serve God together. You guys with me today? But here's the deal. Every marriage, every union, every covenant has a blessing that comes with it. Say blessing. blessing. And, I, and so because of that, whether it's in our Christian walk or in our marriage, there's a blessing that comes with it. And so as Christians, what do we get to do as Christians, right? There's two ordinances of the church, two, two things that Jesus told us to do in the church. The first thing is this. He says uh, to be water baptized. That's something reserved for Christians. When you're in a covenant with Jesus, you get to be water baptized. The second thing is that we would take communion together, right? We would celebrate Jesus dying on the cross and resurrecting. So what is that? An ordinance. And that's a communion that we have in covenant. And so every great covenant has an opportunity of communion. And here's the deal. Since marriage is supposed to be a reflection of Christ and the church, say Christ, say the church. So our marriage is supposed to be a reflection of Jesus and the church. There must be an element of intimate communion reserved for those only in a covenant relationship. So because there's a, there's a covenant where when we belong to Jesus, we get to experience baptism and communion. When we're in covenant with a husband, a husband and a wife are in covenant, there's a communion that they get to experience as well, which is sex. The thing is, what happens when we experience the communion, what happens when we experience the, the beautiful part of belonging when we don't actually belong? Well, actually, 1 Corinthians 11 shows us this. Look at what Paul says. And he's talking about the Christian faith when we take communion, but we're not a Christian. He says, do you not know that he who, uh, he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her body? For it is said the two will become one flesh, but whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. And here's the reality. I believe many people have failed to realize that when you have sex with someone, you literally take on elements of their spirit. Literally, literally when, when you, and, and that can be good or that can be bad. So you literally take on an element of their spirit, which for the record, the reason some people, the reason some of you in this room, which statistically, based on cultural and culture and statistics, 86% of the people in this room have had sex with someone they're not married to. Which, let me just 
for the, for the record, let me say this. If you're one of those 86%, I want you to know that whatever has brought you to this place doesn't have to be the thing that you live under for the rest of your life. Like the beauty of what the Holy Spirit can do in your life is he can set you free from the bondage that you may have attained in your in sexuality. And, but here's the reality is I've literally watched people with biblical conviction become intimate with somebody and instantly lose biblical conviction. I've literally watched young women who love God and then they sleep with someone, become sexual, sexually intimate with somebody and they instantly become the narcissist that this person was as well. I've watched people take on spirits that weren't their own. And, and once you learn to see it, especially in our world, you can identify quickly that person's now been with that person intimately because now they've joined spirits. Now that can be a good thing because what if you, uh, for, for the men out there, what if you're joining union with a wife that loves God more than anything else and prays for you every day? What, what kind of spirit are you bringing into your life? One that's gonna help encourage you to do the right thing. But as we all know, when we experience it outside of marriage, how many guys can acknowledge, just, you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you acknowledge with me, you picked up some things along the way you wish you hadn't. And that's the reality. Let's keep going in what Paul says. So he says this, flee from sexual immorality. You know what that word flee means? Flee. <laughs> Get away from it. Run the opposite direction. It doesn't mean like, oh, we'll just let it kind of coexist. No, no, no. Get away. Actively go in the other direction from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Meaning when we sin, we're literally doing damage to ourselves. Do you know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, listen, honor God with your bodies. That we're called to honor God with our bodies. And I've heard this analogy over and over again in different spheres, but I think it works in this conversation that it's better to build a fence at the top of the hill than put ambulances at the bottom. And I think culture has tried to convince us that if you love it, you should have as much of it as you want. Don't worry about who, who is God to tell you you shouldn't live this way? Who, who is the church or who is Christ or who are Christians to tell you that you shouldn't experience it? If you want it, you should have it. And here's the deal. They're saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, listen, if you, if you want to experience sex, if you want to fall down that hill, fall down that hill. There's abortion clinics at the bottom of that hill. You can just go get one. There's hospitals at the bottom of that hill. You can go get medication for those STDs. Just go, just go have as much of it as you want to. You don't need to live a life that glorifies God. Do whatever you want to do. Even in the church, we've looked at people and we've said, God's got grace for you. Go sleep with whoever you want to as often as you want to. God loves you anyways. And that may be a factual statement, but it doesn't mean you should go skydiving down the hill either. But that's the kind of link. And, and I'll even say this, and I almost didn't put this in here, but man, I just, I, I think... The conversation needs to be had. But I think we need to be careful that we celebrate people in the church who are having babies outside of marriage without having discipleship conversations with it. 
And so, like, I, I walk, I'm on social media with you guys, and, like, you know, the, a, a man in the church or a woman in the church, they're having a baby, not married, and everyone's like, yes, congratulations, we're so excited. And I think there's a moment, there is an opportunity to celebrate the fact that you're going to bring life into this world, and we're going to trust you to raise it in a godly way. But there also has to be a conversation by somebody that says, hey, come here for a second. I'm glad that you're going to experience the beautiful part of that, that kind of life, but we need to have a conversation about how this baby got here and a discipleship conversation about how you need to live moving forward. And I think we just celebrate things. We're like, yay, praise God. And it's like, well, I don't know about that one. Praise God for what we're gonna get to do, but we do need to have a discipleship character and integrity conversation about how we got here because that's not honoring God with our bodies. And I think we just gotta do better at that. And so at the bottom of the hill, we've put ambulances to clean up a mess that if we just would have lived inside the fence at the top of the hill, we'd never have to deal with. So it's like, we've got clinics at the bottom. We've got hospitals at the bottom. God's grace is at the bottom. Just go off the hill. It doesn't matter. But I think it does. And here's the deal. If you've gone off that hill already, I'm not here to beat you up. I Trust me, I'm not. I'm not here to make you feel bad. What I am here to do is help you understand there's a different way you can live where the favor and blessing of God is realized within the boundaries of the fence at the top. Because if anybody in here, you'll agree with me. Has anybody ever experienced the valley of life before where you were at the bottom? How many guys know there's a whole lot of darkness down there? And if we could help anybody, whether you're young or old, if we could help you Stay away from the spiritual darkness that encompasses the, the valley of decision. I think we should do that when it comes to sex and understand what it's supposed to look like. Because if we'll embrace the boundaries, if we'll stay within the fence at the top of the hill, listen, you can flourish. Matter of fact, I, I, I say it like this. Is it truly good to have no boundaries in your life? Like, is a boundaryless life a good thing? And I think the easiest way to understand the reason the answer is no is to take a step away from humans and look at the way God created every other thing on the planet. For example, a fish. Is it good for a fish to not live within the boundaries of water? Like you take a fish out of the water, what's it gonna do? Die. Why? Because the boundary of water is keeping it alive. So listen, is it good that you could have ultimate freedom in your own decisions to live however you want? Well, you could, but it may just be spiritual death on the other side of that fence. And God's trying to help you stay alive. Matter of fact, you flourish inside the fence. The problem is, I think a lot of people are like, well, I just need to get married because if I could just get married, then I can, then it'll solve all my problems. We're going to spend the next couple of weeks on marriage, <laughs> for the record. I think for a lot of people, they're saying, if I could just get married, I have this sexual desire. If I could just get married, I could have sex as often as I want to. <laughs> oh, boy. That's not a reality either. Right? Some people say, I've heard people say, if I, if, we could, if I could just get married, then, then, then all, my, all the evil, all, all the sinful things of my heart will go away because now I have someone I can have sex with. Listen, that's not true either. 
Matter of fact, I, I said it like this. If you don't embrace the boundaries of singleness, you won't be good at embracing the boundaries of marriage either. If you don't embrace the boundaries of singleness, you won't be good at embracing the boundaries of marriage either. They're gonna throw that on the screen for you, but I think that's important that we realize is that there's boundaries and when we learn to live in God's boundaries, we actually can flourish in a beautiful, beautiful way. Second Corinthians 10, five says this, because we have to change the way that we think. It says we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. So here's the deal. I want you to embrace this for a second as we close. That God has given us a way we're supposed to think, a way that we're supposed to understand, a way we're supposed to believe about sexual intimacy. And anything that stands up against that and says, well, I don't agree with that. Well, that has to change to God. God doesn't change to that. And it says we demolish every argument. Well, I don't agree with the fact that marriage is between a man and a wife. Doesn't matter, that's what God says. Well, I don't agree that we shouldn't have sex before marriage. That's what God says. And anything that stands up against that, we have to tear it back down. Anything that stands itself up against the knowledge of God. Listen, what do you say? We take every thought and we make it obedient to Christ. So this is how we're supposed to live. We have to change the way we think. And here's the reality. If we can change the way we think, we can understand what God wants us to see when it comes to even a topic like sex. Because what we may not understand is that many of us, whether you're already married or you're planning to get married one day, we don't realize what's happening in the spiritual realm. And if we could see it physically, we would think differently about the spiritual. If we could see what we're carrying, if you, matter of fact, I, I say it like this, and this is kind of, uh, but I think it's important that we see it and understand I want you to, ladies, I want you to imagine for a second that you finally found the perfect man. Come on. 6'3", six, 6-pack, six $600,000 a year. Come on. And he loves God? Shh. Come on. Which I think that should be first on the list, but hey, whatever. We're getting there. We're getting there. All right, we're getting there. Right? And I want you to, I want you to imagine for a second you've been, you've been sexually intimate with five other guys before you meet your husband. And you walk in the door, the door which is the beginning of marriage, you walk in the door the night of your wedding to be intimate with your husband for this first time. And what if you could see physically what you were carrying spiritually and five other men walked in the door with you? Now I know that may be a bit of a graphic picture for us, but that's what you're doing spiritually when you bring other people into your bed you're not married to. As you're making it to when you finally meet that person, you're bringing all these others with you into that bed. Now, here's the thing I want you to understand. The only person that can set you free from that bondage is Jesus Christ. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, he can shatter the damage, bondage, and baggage that come with that life so that you can truly walk in completely free from those spiritual things. And in a minute, you're gonna have the opportunity to be prayed for if you're, that, if you're a person that you just feel like you're carrying that kind of baggage. So what do we do? We've got to make our thoughts obedient to Christ. How do we do it? I'll just give you this right now. You can put this into practice today. Start thinking about sex as a godly thing with boundaries, not just a good thing without limits. It's a godly thing with boundaries. So listen to me. You want to experience favor and blessing? Embrace the boundaries. 
align your life with Christ and abandon anything else. And those boundaries will actually set you free. And I want you to think about this. Think of the testimony, your life being a testimony, a reflection to Jesus to the world. Think of the testimony you can have and the damage you can avoid by instituting the boundaries of sex into your life. You could actually set the trajectory for a future in a better place. Let's do it together, amen? Let me pray for you today. Father, we thank you and we love you. We're so grateful for who you are and we're grateful, God, that no matter where we are in our Christian journey today, no matter where we are in our faith journey, God, we can actually surrender to a life that honors you with boundaries. So God, I pray that you help us do that today. Help us realize the way you want us to live and not just live the way that we want. Help us realize that you've created boundaries that we should live within. That it's better to have a fence at the top of the hill than an ambulance at the bottom. So God, help us live within those boundaries so that we can live a life that honors you. We thank you today and we love you in Jesus' name. If you're here today, church, and you say, Brad, I, I wanna live within those boundaries. I, I, I wanna live a life that honors God, but I don't, I don't know that my life belongs to God, but it needs to. Today, if you're here and you want a life that honors God, but you need to surrender your life to God first, you need to be saved. You've got sin that's, that's more a part of your life than God is, and you say, I need Jesus to become the Lord of my life. If that's you, I want to invite you to pray this prayer with me, and the whole church will pray it with you. That you can be saved, you can be forgiven, and you can have a new life in Christ. So let's pray. Say, dear Jesus, forgive me. Forgive me my sin. I believe in you. I believe you died for me. I believe you rose again, so I give you my life. Make me brand new in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. See, let's put our hands together for all those that prayed that today. Celebrate with you. Thank you so much for listening today. To make sure you never miss a message, be sure to subscribe to our channel. It would also mean so much to us if you would leave us a review. If you want to connect with us on Instagram or Facebook, just search at Transformation Pensacola. More information about our church or to contact us, feel free to go to mytc.life. MyTC.life is also where you can partner with us financially, and we would love it if you would consider doing just that, as your financial support is a key factor in helping our content channels grow. So I want to invite you to join us next time for another message from one of our pastors as we see people transform from who they are to who God wants them to be. I pray you have a blessed day.